0: If you're looking for insight into the vast world of information security, then you're in the right place. Welcome to the InfoSec Sync podcast, the only top rated information security podcast committed to helping you enhance your cyber skillset. Listen in on conversations with world class information security thought leaders, subject matter experts authors and more as we exchange ideas best practices and discuss the latest trends threats strategies and solutions for your success so get ready to get in sync with your host Nick Thomas
1: hey miles Brown thanks for taking the time out to join us on infosec sync how are you doing today sir
2: I'm on Nick
1: Hey, no worries. Always like to get the subject matter experts on that know what they're talking about. First thing I want to ask you that I ask all my guests on the show, so um, the listeners and viewers will will know the person deeper. Um, how did you fall into cyber and the role that you're currently doing at uh, tech data as a uh, cloud uh, subject matter expert devops etc how did how did that start for mr miles sure
2: uh well right out of college i got a job as a programmer uh, as a mainframe programmer <laughs> I'm, i i maybe don't look that old but uh this was a uh it was actually a ladies wear company that was uh, really about distribution of you know um, product and they had uh, mid-range computers, AS400s. And I, I got there when they were sort of at a time in flux where they started to bring in, um, you know, client server kind of technologies. And so we were getting rid of the green screens and giving people PCs. And uh, the, the data that we were collecting was no longer going to be just in the mainframe. We started to find other types of data storage. And I kind of, I got in there right at the right time and I was kind of young and hungry. And so they let me run with every project that I, that I could come up with. And so I really became more of a data person and, um, started our first data warehouse, you know, data warehousing was just starting to become a thing in, in the mid nineties. And so that, that was really, uh, my start and we, we moved and started using Oracle databases. And so I really became an Oracle database expert, I would say, uh, more so when I left there and started teaching Oracle courses. Uh, and so I've, I've kind of gone back and forth in my career between working with technologies and then going and uh, teaching classes for, you know, the, the vendor authorized classes. So, you know, I started teaching with Oracle and then I went back and I, I became more of a Java developer. And then I got a job teaching Java for a Sun training partner. And and I kind of kept going back and forth like that. And as I became more of a, you know, a database programmer, when Hadoop came to the forefront in the sort of mid to late 2000s, uh, I became a Hadoop guy. Did a lot of Cloudera distribution stuff, still on-prem at that point. Although I had heard people were starting to use the cloud and uh, eventually, you know, not every place I would go and consult had a hundred Linux boxes sitting around that they could build a Hadoop cluster with. And so we started to use uh, EC2 instances from AWS. So that's what they call their virtual machines. And so it was very sort of from first principles, you would get a bunch of virtual machines in the cloud and then go and install you know, all your Hadoop components. And then eventually it got easier and then the cloud vendors started to really embrace it. And so at that point I became a cloud guy. You know, I, my entryway was AWS and that's still primarily what I deal with. But then I got into Google Cloud as well. I, I, a lot less so with Microsoft Azure, although I've, I've, I've definitely dealt with it in projects, but the, uh, you know, I've gone back and forth, like I said, back to training. And so, you know, currently I'm with uh, a company called Exit Certified, which is part of Tech Data and uh, really on and off with them for a long time now. Uh, I like coming back to the training. You know, it's very personal. Sometimes as a a consultant, you're stuck in a corner and said, hey, go work on this. And, uh, you know, I need the people part as well. And so I find training, you really get in there and talk to people. So it's kind of been back and forth a little bit. Um, and so that's that's how I became a cloud guy.
1: So that's amazing. And what's amazing about that is you started off as an IBM AS400 guy, which technically back then was the. Cloud. <laughs> yeah, <I> guess. <laughs> um, <laughs> you went to desktops, right? You went to Novell. You went to Microsoft. Then you started going into big data uh, with Oracle. You know. And now you're coming back around into guess what? The cloud again, the <laughs> cloud again. Yeah, it's... <laughs> except, it's not... except it's not, it's not the AS 400s anymore. It, it's, it's a, a big servers and um, all quantum computing. Yeah. It's,
2: it's funny because, you know, we still sometimes talk to customers. I, I talk to customers who are trying to make a jump from mainframe into cloud. And I say, well, you're sort of skipping over 20 years of technology there that you didn't do, you know, Absolutely. but it's, it's interesting how many mainframes are still out there and how you know that sort of centralization of the processing and the data <laughs> we've come back around to it then cuz the cloud sort of ends up doing that again and uh you know you you live long enough in this industry everything's cyclical i think
1: yeah it's coming back to the uh, data storage the warehousing and power spacing cooling that it, al- it always was um in the beginning
2: yeah although you know it it looks like you know, a big monolith to us, but under the covers, you know, that the cloud vendors are actually duplicating data across all kinds of data centers and everything. So it's really just, it looks the same as far as we're concerned, but it's actually a lot more resilient under the covers.
0: InfoSec Sync is brought to you by Excelio. Excelio provides economic, end-to-end cybersecurity threat detection and response solutions designed for your team, environment, and security objectives, providing packet level visibility across your network. Visit them on the web at Excelio.com. That's A-X-E-L-L-I-O.com. So, Miles, some of the cloud
1: providers nowadays are um, Amazon, right? Um, we've got Microsoft with Azure. We have um, Google Cloud, and now um, one of your current employers, Oracle, has a cloud now. So, uh, taking all the of these into account, tell us a little bit more about your expertise in yeah you know, one over the other. Uh, you know why? First off, why is this such a massive trend, right? And then, uh, what are people picking mainly these days, or is it a hodgepodge? How, how does somebody know, or just a regular person, which one of these vendors should yeah. I go
2: with? So it, it is a massive trend, right? So over the last ten years, we've seen you know uh, enterprises adopt cloud, but really over the last five years, especially, and you know the way I saw it. In the early days, what I saw, you know, AWS marketing was, Hey, uh, if you're a startup, you don't want to blow all your money building data centers around the world. Right. (laughs) And so that, that goal of no upfront costs and just pay as you go, pay for what you need. Right. That's very attractive to a startup. And so a lot of those companies that were startups. You know, when when AWS was first going, they're now, you know, huge established companies that completely changed their industry. People like Netflix and Airbnb and all these kinds of companies. Uh, But then once enterprises start to see this, they start to say, hey, is the cloud something we would be interested in? And I think the big idea is if you've got a bunch of data centers, you know, you see a, a huge cost there. And when you take in the total cost of all the people running it and, and leasing land and everything, you know, when one of those data centers is gotta be refreshed and we gotta buy all new equipment, that's a huge outlay of, of capital. And so this, this idea of trading capital expenditure for operating expenses, you know, a monthly fee is very attractive even if you weren't to save money. But then because of the economies of scale that the cloud vendors get, you know, then there's some real benefit there. And uh, and so it's very attractive, not just for startups, but for enterprises. And then eventually, even we started to see a lot of the public sector move to it, right? And so it right. it has been a huge trend. And and now we see, you know, most Fortune 500 companies have some presence in the cloud, if not a large presence. Uh, but uh, when it comes to choosing which vendor, because like you said, there are, there are, you know, four or five viable contenders. What we see is that AWS is by far the biggest market share because they got in first, right? They started, I mean, they actually started before 2006, but 2006 is when EC2 and S3 came out. And that's when they sort of spun it off as a separate company, AWS, you know, and, and um, that's, Five years before, well, it was 2010 and 2011 when Microsoft Azure and Google Cloud came out. So, in that you know five years, they really got a good head start. And uh, once Microsoft Azure came out, you know they had the advantage that most major companies already have some sort of agreement with Microsoft because of Windows, because of Office 365, right? And so you know, they've already got a business arrangement with them. So if they're going into the cloud, that might be the easiest, you know, path for not having to go through legal and everything else again. And so, you know, we see a lot of companies, especially companies that are, you know, sort of Microsoft shops. Like if you're, all your development is in .NET, all your databases are SQL server. Well, then going to Microsoft for the cloud makes a lot of sense, right? And so they, they gather up a lot of the market that way. Google cloud is like really a third place vendor, like by far third place, because, you know, it looks a lot like AWS, a lot of the same terminology and everything else. But, uh, I think that their marketing was sort of, Hey, if you're going to go multi cloud, you know, don't put all your eggs in one basket you should have a second cloud vendor as your backup. And we are great at doing being that. You know, I, I, I literally saw that when I went to Google Cloud Next a couple years ago. You know, I, I, it was it was kind of jarring because I had gone to an AWS event the week before and then I was at a Google Cloud event and the marketing could not have been more different. AWS was starting to say, hey, don't spread your cloud spend around. Spend it all with one vendor and then you have the most buying power. Right, because if you're if you're going to spend a lot of money with one cloud vendor, you should be able to get a better deal than just the regular rates. Yeah, but yeah, I agree with that. anyone can agree. Yeah, with that, right? but then Google Cloud is saying no, you don't put all your eggs in one basket. You know, but it was obviously because one was the market leader trying to hold on to that, and one was trying to gain market share. Right. But right. uh, this idea of multi-cloud has become very very popular, and you know when you get an outage. You know, like this week we had, you know, the big Facebook outage and, you know, that scares people (laughs) and they say, what if my cloud vendor goes down now? Most of the cloud vendors don't go down very often. You know, AWS, for example, doesn't go down unless something really bad happens where, you know, they had one sort of outage for about six hours because of their DNS or whatever. Uh, It wasn't their outage. It was a supplier of theirs, you know, and um, you realize. How much of the internet relies on, you know, this cloud vendor? And you say, uh oh, you know, I can't have that. And so there's lots of reasons to go multi cloud these days. And, um, but there's still, you know, each vendor has their sort of hotspot, what they do well. And you'll see some people go to Oracle cloud, you know, Oracle cloud has won a few major contracts and it's really because of you know, they they do pricing a little differently. Most cloud vendors, you know, it's you don't pay any data transfer fee to move data into their cloud. But when you grab data from the cloud storage and pull it back, that's when you pay a data transfer fee.
1: So that's one of the things I wanted to ask you with, um, especially with Oracle, because you were an Oracle guy. What, why would I want to go to Oracle versus AWS
2: or Azure? I, I would say, I mean, there's there's a couple things at play here. You know, if you're running like an Oracle database and you want a managed service where you don't have to worry about the operating system and patches and all that kind of thing, you you want it to be sort of self managed. Well, then obviously Oracle is going to do a great job of managing Oracle databases, just like Microsoft does a great job of managing Microsoft SQL Server. You know. But I would say AWS does a pretty good job of managing about six different databases, but it might not be as good you know, at, at certain things. But the big selling point I'd say for Oracle Cloud is their data transfer pricing. And so we've seen a couple of big customers like Zoom kind of signed a big deal with uh, Oracle Cloud, I guess some point last year, and people said, oh wow, is Oracle Cloud on the, on the map now and you say, well, think about what Zoom does in the cloud. It's all data transfer. And so they're sort of a, you know, kind of like a, a single issue voter, right? And so they're most worried about data transfer and, and Oracle kills everybody else on that pricing. And so for them, it made a lot of sense. What I find is that, you know, if most people go where the crowd goes, you know, AWS is popular and nothing draws a crowd like a crowd
1: <laughs> so another question i wanted to ask you i was reading an accenture paper recently and it mentioned that 90 percent of enterprises are going to the cloud but however out of those 90 percent only 20 to 30 percent of their work i'm sorry 20 to 40 percent of their workload is uh, they're utilizing for the cloud any idea why that yeah be?
2: yeah i've seen that trend too where where we see hey everybody says we're in the cloud But when you delve into it and you say, what percentage of your workloads are in the cloud, like production workloads, it's not that high, not as high as they would like. And there's kind of a couple things that go on with that. Uh, One of them is, you know, most of these organizations that go to the cloud, they already have an existing infrastructure, right? So they have data centers and they might be able to shut some down, but they have long-term contracts for others. Plus they have things that don't, easily move to the cloud. Like if they do have mainframe stuff, it's not like you can go and and move all your mainframes to the cloud. You have to redesign those apps. That takes time, right? So there's some low-hanging fruit, dev and test environments. People move to the cloud pretty easily. You know, anything non-mission critical, yeah, you move that to the cloud quickly. But then, you know, you get into, hey, security and compliance, what does this mean? Can I move this? You know, some of those things you have to investigate for a while. And so, There's a lot of workloads still running in people's own data centers. And it's sort of, you know, there's a couple of reasons for that. One, we said was the, you know, some of that infrastructure exists and you're just not going to throw it away because you already bought all these physical machines and have these buildings. Some of it is workloads that don't easily move to the cloud until you redesign them completely. And the third is not everybody has the skill set to move to the cloud right away right? You, you, can, you can have your sort of, you know, the the bleeding edge people you know, you, that end up becoming your cloud center of excellence. And they could take a couple apps, move them into the cloud and say, see, it works. But then to get your, you know, massive group of developers and architects and system operations people, security people on board, like everybody's got to be on board to move all these other workloads that can take some time and so what we find is that you know i've I've read some studies where they say you know uh 80 of the cloud leaders say that an unskilled workforce is their biggest impediment to cloud adoption right and so trying to get those cloud skills is a big is a big thing
1: and that's a good question and let me pull that thread there uh, because you do a lot of training what what are, are some of the gaps that you're seeing there obviously uh the cloud training gap is is one of the ones you're seeing yeah
2: so there's there's a lot of options for learning about the cloud right there's there's a lot of free online stuff there's low-cost things uh you know the gold standard usually for for training is instructor-led training where you're live in class although these days not too many people are going into a classroom but you know virtual over zoom or or whatever we see a lot of that you know um, that the company that I work for, you know, we switched from about 60% virtual to 100% virtual when COVID hit. Uh, and, you know, people are used to that and it works pretty well, but at least you have a live person to ask questions of, you know, and follow up. Um, so there's a lot of good training out there that is, you know, coming from the vendors themselves. So all those you know, Amazon, Microsoft, Google Cloud, Oracle, IBM, you know, go down the list of everybody with a cloud and they've got their own training, you know, and it's chunked up to three day or five day classes or whatever. And so that first level of just getting somebody basic training in the cloud, that is readily available, right? If, if somebody's a, you know, self-starter and can do the uh, online kind of, you know, self-paced training. You know, for some people that works really well. Other people, they say, hey, I need three days away from work where nobody's bothering me, where I've got nothing to do, but listen to this instructor and then go work with some hands on. You know, a lot of people work and respond better to that. But the real problem I find is that a move to the cloud is almost never done in isolation. You know, what we see when people are doing their digital transformation, I find that there's three things that go hand in hand in hand. One is a move of the platform. So they're going from on-prem to the cloud. Next, they're starting to adopt uh, like a DevOps kind of uh, culture, right? Because when we move to the cloud, you're letting your cloud vendor do more of the, uh, the low level stuff. So there's less and less operations. So all of a sudden DevOps becomes a little bit easier. You can take a developer who knows a little bit about security and a little bit about networking and make them a full stack developer. And that really you know, makes DevOps go nicely. And then the third sort of trend we see is a change in architecture from big monolithic apps being broken up into microservices. And so that kind of goes nicely with DevOps as well because you instead of here's a development team that builds the code and then throws it over to the wall to the operations people, and then there's just a bunch of pointing of fingers of when things go wrong. You know, now we have small cross-functional teams with a few developers, a couple of testers, maybe one or two operations people, and they're in charge of a set of microservices from end-to-end. Much better. better. It makes your agile environment a lot better. Well, that's really what it is. It's taking that idea of agile, like all those agile programming things that I learned in the 90s, and and just extending it through the entire software development lifecycle. And so that's... That's where we're going with this. And so we see a lot of people make those moves. And so just taking a, a, a three or a five day class from your cloud vendor, that teaches you about that cloud tool, but it doesn't teach you about how are we really gonna make this digital transformation? You know, And how we're gonna use it properly for- uh, Yeah, how are we going to get our, our leadership to understand that embracing DevOps means we have to totally change how we build and run teams Right. Then we have to think about building that automated CI CD pipeline for DevOps and what are the tools we're going to choose. So there's, there's sort of the, the theory of building it. And then there's what's our particular tool set look like? Right. And then, you know, how are you going to implement your microservices? You know, these days Docker and Kubernetes are, are becoming wildly popular. Right. So you might go that way. The other way to go that the cloud vendors really provide is this idea of serverless. You know, all the cloud vendors have the similar idea where you say, "Hey, I'm a developer, I'm going to write this piece of code and it responds to some sort of an event." And I'm never going to think about where is this code running, how many servers are running it. I don't think about any of that. I just say, "Here's the code and here's the event that causes it to run." And so that's become sort of the sexiest thing in the cloud these days.
1: And also um, the use of uh, the vendor tools that they offer you right they they can offer the same thing in the cloud jenkins you know hadoop all the all, all
2: that yeah that's stuff. that's the big thing you know when i when i look today if i open up the aws management console and i think about what it looked like 10 years ago when i opened it up yeah. you know 10 years ago there was about eight things in that list now it's over 200 yeah. and yeah. i i can't even imagine going opening that up and saying i got to learn all this You don't, right? There are so many services that are really niche. Like you mentioned, quantum computing. You know, AWS has a service for launching satellites, you know? And I look at that, I'm like, that's not my job. I'm never going to touch that. Are we dealing with that here? (laughs) So a lot of the services are what we would call managed services. So something like Hadoop or even a database. You say, well, all I need is a bunch of virtual machines and I can go and install stuff and manage them the way I want. Well, AWS says, sure, if you want to do that, go ahead. But we also have this managed service where you just come in and say, hey, I want Hadoop with a hundred nodes. And then they go and launch it. And if one dies, it comes back up, right? And so it makes your life easier. It's less administration, right? And so the total cost of ownership ends up being quite a bit lower. And so that is really one of the big value uh, prospects uh, of the cloud is, not just that we can get virtual machines but now we can tap into their expertise in managing them and automating things so that we don't have to do as much low level you know and right. bringing it back to security the less manual processes we have the better right
1: <laughs> yeah that was another question i wanted to ask you are, are you seeing a lot of uh, a lot of these companies put baking security in where you can choose security yeah how's that
2: how's that working uh, how's that yeah working Again, I'll, I'll use AWS as the example because it's the most popular and it's the one I know best. But but they all have kind of the same concepts. Uh, in AWS, they've they've introduced all kinds of services where, you know, they'll do something like, um, you know, uh, they've got something called uh, Inspector, right? And it's an agent that you can install on all your virtual machines, and every once in a while, you can say, hey, I want to go run an inspection, and it says, okay. And it talks to the agent and says, what's running on all these virtual machines? You know, what, what version of Windows or Linux is running? What are all the pieces of software? What version of those software? And then it reports it back and it looks against a list of known vulnerabilities that Amazon themselves maintain, right? So this is something that in past, I've been at companies where that was somebody's job to maintain a list of known vulnerabilities. And now what we're saying is, hey, you don't have to do that, that's duplication. Amazon already does that. And so now they've got this tool and it can just do an inspection whenever you want and it'll say, okay, hey, you've got these machines, they're running this version of Linux, you're missing this patch and there's some critical security oh, holes great. there, right? And so that's the kind of thing where you're 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 sort of, you're buying their expertise. They have similar stuff for you know, distributed denial of service attacks and things like that, where they'll you know, you pay something like thirty five hundred bucks a month for for this service. But if you, you consider, hey, if I had to hire just one person who knows how to deal with incident management of of uh, a d- d- distributed denial denial of service, you know, it would cost me more than that. <laughs> and yeah, so absolutely there's a lot of those kinds of things they've they've subtly introduced a lot of services that have machine learning where they're sort of um they're proactive they go and they look and they say hey i'm looking in all your cloud storage i'm looking across all your s3 and i found these files and it looks to me like you've got um uh, social security numbers that are not obfuscated in some way that probably goes against some kind of compliance, you know? And so they're just, they use machine learning to figure out, Hey, that's what a social security number looks like. Right. And then they tell you about it, you know, and that's not even, you know, that's, that's a proactive thing that you just say, Hey, go scan every, every week for this stuff. And so
1: that's great. So it's sort of like built in RMF or yeah, compliance and in, in that's exactly.
2: And so, you know, what we find is that the, the the cloud vendors, they look at each at each other, right? So So that was something that I think Azure introduced something like that first. And then all of a sudden Amazon says, oh, now we've got that too, right? So <laughs> whatever differentiated one from another in the past, they're starting to get closer and closer. They're borrowing all the best ideas from one another. And they're just looking at, hey, what are popular third-party tools people are running on top of our cloud? And then they look for, is that something we can implement automatically in the cloud. And so I think the the value proposition of the cloud just gets better and better over time as they add more and more of these sort of higher level services for us.
1: Great. Awesome. So one of the questions I wanted to ask you when you're when you're not doing all the stuff that you do in your home, what, where would we find you on the web? What sites are you on what? What are you keeping up
2: with? What are you? Yeah, there's a what? couple things I do. Um, I, there's a uh, there's a newsletter that I use called uh, Last Week in AWS. Um, he, uh, he he's very snarky, <laughs> you know, because he doesn't work for AWS. He could tell you about all the news and give his spin on what he thinks of it. So I, I find that's a great one. Um, I I would say that um, for the most part it's a lot of newsletters you know i i like the sort of hey just email it to me and i'll read it when i can you know because i'm not a i'm not a uh you know every day go and check certain websites kind of person uh, because i find that sometimes i still teach classes so you know mm-hmm. that throws me off compared to my normal day and so i i just i'm old school i get it all emailed to me through newsletters i've got a few different ones like that that i that i go through um I also attend a lot of conferences. That's a big part of my job is, is to stay current. And so I go to all the cloud conferences. You know, a lot of times I'm, I'm sort of maybe running our booth at a bigger one. Uh, but, uh, but what I find is that all those conferences, you know, these days they're usually both virtual and online. So if you can't go, that's fine. You just watch all the content you want, right? Um, but... I find that walking around the expo floor, like I go to AWS reInvent every year and I just walk the floor and I talk to people at every booth and find out what their product does. And, you know, they give you the sales pitch and you know, you, you don't get all the downside to everything until later you read more about it. But, uh, but that's how I really keep abreast is, you know, walking around, seeing. So, I, I only see the ones that have money to spend money on a booth, I guess. <laughs> That's the only downside there. Right. So, so,
1: being in person RSA is much better than watching it. Yeah. yeah I would say that. Yeah. So, um, Miles, I'd like to uh, thank you for sharing your time and expertise with us um, today. Um, and thanks for staying in sync with InfoSec. Sync.
2: Right. Thank you.
0: That's it for this episode. Make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts from. And as always, thanks for staying in sync with Infosec Inc.